Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 83, for Monday, September 26th, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks. And welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How goes it, Paul? It goes good. I think we have to start the show with an important piece of business. little post-facto, sending awesome, after-the-fact, happy birthday wishes to two of my favorite musicians, Bruce Springsteen and Dave Hamilton. Well, thanks, man. On behalf of Bruce and myself, thank you. That's right. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. you're you're allowed to speak for Bruce. I, I am. Well, that I, that <laughs> that's actually uh, more prestigious than the birthday wish coming from you. So that's uh, that's pretty good. Did you have a good birthday? I did. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a gig on uh, on my birthday. Uh, it just so happened to you know when we were setting up gigs with this club we play, they offered us that night, and when we took it, and so it was fine. Uh, you know, uh, there were a bunch of people there, and a bunch of my family was there, as like the people that would have come to the gig anyway. And, uh, and so Lisa and my dad organized to get a cake. And so at set break, we had some cake and stuff, but, uh, but it was a fun gig and it was, man, the band played so, so well. It really was. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those nights where everything just fell into place. It was, um, it was great. We had a good time. Harmonies were good. Grooves were outstanding. Sound was good. So much easier doing the sound when you can do it the way you're used to doing it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was going to say doing it yourself and I consider what you guys do in the house rockers, you do the sound yourselves. I mean, it's bill and, and it's not, you know, you're not dealing with, um, whatever the club kind of has you, you, you do it the way you're used to doing it. It's so much yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. does give you a, a feeling of control of your own destiny, which I think just the confidence level is really good. Plus the quality level should be better as well. Yeah. 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 No, it is. And, uh, and, and yeah, it just works out really well. So we, uh, cool. yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It was a good well, night. And it was, you know, it's, it's a early gig eight to 11, which is, I think the right time for a rock and roll show these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The videos that, um, your wife posted, you know, the one of fool in the rain is really good. I mean, I think, you should share that, you know, because I actually had coffee with Joe this morning. He was going like, man, drummer who can play that groove. And it's not that it's the most complicated groove in the world, but it's it's a thing. It's, you know, it's, it's got to be played right. Yeah, it's that Purdy shuffle. Yeah, which but it's then, funny. We call it the Purdy shuffle. And Bernard Purdy, when not in an egotistical moment, will tell you he stole it from John Bonham. So, wow. you know, yeah, well, I mean, that Bonham was the first guy to do it. And then it's Purdy did it and Jeff Percaro did it for Rosanna and all that stuff. But yeah. But then that you sing so well over it. So I, that, that's one I would encourage you share with the listeners because it's a good study for, you know, quality drumming and quality singing at the same time. Thanks. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I'll share it from our page for sure. I um, and I will share also that I if I think about either one of those things while I'm doing them in the moment, I'm totally screwed. Um, so I just listen to Burke, our bass player, while I'm playing and singing that tune. And then everything's just totally fine and relaxed. That's cool. Yeah. There, there are a couple of moments, you know, it's I mean, like playing in, any instrument, uh, I'm sure, where there's, you know, a vocal line that doesn't quite mesh with with the drum part. And so I just have to kind of push it out and make it happen and trust that if I do screw it up, 
you know, I've got a bass player there that's going to, you know, nail the one for me. And, and then we're all we're all back keep, in business. Keep you on track. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just got to, you know, you got to just push through those moments. And it's kind of fun because you sort of feel like you lose control, you know, and for a little bit. And, and that's that's where the fun happens. So, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is a so, fun groove to play. I love playing that groove. It's um, it. I've heard other drummers play it. And and some have done it phenomenally well. Um, it's one of those things where if you get bound up in the technique, you'll lose the fact that really the most important thing about that groove is the 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 quarter note pulse, right? I mean, you've got that all the ghost notes and the dis dis bat dis the boo dis bat, but the most important thing is boom a pa ba boom pa right. That's it. And if you if someone who's listening doesn't feel that above everything else if all the notes are made equal and i i've heard people play it where like every ghost note is the same intensity and and volume as as the the kick and the the you know the the backbeat on the snare it just doesn't have a groove it doesn't have a pulse so it's uh, yeah. yeah it's important to get the technique down and then forget it all and just focus on the one two three and four that's it it's all that matters <laughs> well it, it's just one of those songs where the jump part is might be I mean, you can't, you couldn't play that song any other way and have it be that song. No, you can't. That's right. It requires that that shuffle groove to make that song work. Yeah. And, and I would actually that uh, stairway to heaven aside. Would you say that's the most accessible Zeppelin song to put into a cover band set? I mean, you know, I, I you know, like my buddy Johnny does a whole lot of love. Yeah. And, but that's heavy, you know, that you're, you're taking a risk if you're going that heavy into Zeppelin when the rest of your stuff is, you know, Maroon 5 and that type of thing, right? Yeah, right. You're, you're taking a big turn if you're going as, as deep as Whole Lot of Love because it breaks and it's a fairly long song and that type of thing. But Fool in the Rain is probably the most pop accessible Zeppelin song, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's one of them for sure. When, when we learned it, it was actually the end of a fling rehearsal our bass player and Mike, our lead player had left. So it was just Russ, Aaron and I, and we were talking about, yeah, we got to add something Zeppelin to the set. And it really came down to what Zeppelin song can we sing? Like, like what, you know, which one's that going to be? And for whatever reason I had in my head incorrectly, as it turns out that Misty mountain hop was, was that right. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of those that that's sort of pop accessible. It's got that, you know, it's that, that repetitive groove and it just kind of lopes along and, and people hear it and they're like, Oh yeah, Zeppelin. Woo. But there's those, those lines that are way, way, way up there. So we started doing it and I'm like, well, guys, no, I can't sing it. I've got the, yeah. the highest range in playing and they're like, no, not for me. And then I thought, <laughs> wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about fool in the rain? And, and so our keyboard player started playing that, you know, sort of that progression. I mean, I think he plays all major chords and I, I think actually the E is a, a minor in it, but it doesn't matter. It, you know, it sounds fine. And um, so we started playing it and we started, I started singing. It wasn't sitting at the kit and it was like, oh yeah, this is totally like, this doesn't require those Led Zeppelin vocal gymnastics that, that come with so many of those Zeppelin tunes. And it was like, oh, okay, great. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, well, let's try playing it. And I sat down. I'm like, whoa, 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 
hang on, guys, I need five minutes. <laughs> I can do, they're like, well, I'll skip it. I'm like, no, 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 I can, I can do this. I just like this, this isn't about you for the moment. Just like go over there, you know, have, have a beer, whatever you're going to do. And let me just give me I gotta a minute. I got to talk to my, yeah. my arms and my legs yeah. need to have a conversation yeah, with yeah, each other. Just give me a minute. Yeah. Like, don't rush me through this. It's only going to be like five minutes. And so I did, I got it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how this groove works. Okay. And, and, and then, and, and then that was that singing and playing. It's, it's hard to do, but once you learn how to do it, it really isn't that hard anymore. Uh, it, it, like adding new songs or whatever. It, I've, I haven't, I have yet to find a song where it's like, oh, even though I know how to sing and play, you know, this catalog of music, I can't do that one. I, that's well, 50 ways to leave your lover is, is the next mm. big challenge on my list. And the biggest problem with it is I learned how to play that Steve Gadd groove incorrectly. So I've now had it. And now it's locked in. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's a whole other, that's another thing. But anyway, yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, good job on that. Thanks and man. Share it. And I think people like it. That we works. have a couple, we have a couple questions that have come in. We haven't done the mailbox in a couple of weeks. Let's do it. All right. I'm going to read you the first one from listener, Michael Hodos. He says, uh, give us your methods and tools for set list creation. I've been using a nice tool called setlistcreator.com. It's free for limited usage that I have. It looks like it's been around a long time. I really like it because when I enter the songs in our repertoire, along with the approximate times, I can make a several set show and see how long things will take. It's drag and drop to rearrange songs. I've been happy with it. And the other tools, recommend recommendations and suggestions for creating set lists, both technically and creatively. Well, maybe today we just talk about that. You know, technically, my process is fairly simple. The creatively is, is uh, you know, a series of seven shows that we would probably have to link together to, right. to, to address. Yeah, let's skip the creatively part. Let's just talk about the like, how do you how, how do you form that thing that then you put in front of the rest of your bandmates? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm pretty low tech on this. I mean, I just use my my um, my word processor, actually. So I use pages. Uh, the the word processor that comes with most Macs now, and um, but I do keep every set list that we've ever done. So if we go back to a show, um, you know, back to a venue a year later, I can see what we played for people the year before and and uh, that type of thing. Um, I do like I kind of start with the last set list that we did. So you know, if we're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll make a set list for Thursday. And I've actually gotten more in the habit now of sending set lists out to my guys a couple couple days in advance. So A, the horns who are using these um, these pad devices, not not iPads, but um, pad devices for their sheet music now, which is working out well and has, has been pretty cool. But I'll let them organize their uh, their set list that way. And I'll send them out in advance. But if a show goes well on a Thursday, I'll start with Thursday's set list. We never play the same show two days in a row unless something really the sure. only reason we would do it is if I literally cannot get my hands on a computer to create another set list in the time between, and there are two shows that aren't going to have the same audiences, like geographically different, sure. then then we'll play the same show two days in a row. But, but other than that, it, there's always, I would say about tw- a minimum of 20% different show to show, um, you know, five, six, seven songs, different show to show. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, it's just a word processor. I keep everything, you know, I've ha- I have every 10 years worth of set lists all stored away. Um, and it's sometimes it's kind of interesting to go way back because there's, you know, that's how you find those songs. Oh yeah, that song, you know, we used to like, why haven't we done that for a while? But um, it's just a word process thing. And it just, uh, I start with a set list cut and paste and, uh, and, uh, and move on from there. How do you do yours? Um, similar tools. I use my word processor, uh, like you, every set list that I've created is saved, uh, on the computer. So I can always go back and look, but what I start with each time is I have what I call, uh, it's a document and I keep it updated and it's called flings, flings songs by category. Okay. And uh, what I'll do is I'll duplicate that document. And then rename it to whatever the set list is going to be. So now I have this document with all of our songs in it organized by category. And the categories are straight ahead rock, sparse tunes, um, impressive songs, get, you know, get them up and uh, fill the dance floor songs. Like all of these various, various little categories that I have and I, I go through. And then I just start building the set by going through the the list and it's i mean there's you know a couple hundred tunes on here so it's just like go through and it's like okay let's play that one let's do this one let's do that one and i might have an idea in my head already of oh i want to play these songs but it's nice to be able to look at the list because i say oh yeah we haven't played that song in a while all right let's let's float that one up let's put that you know fourth in the first set in, in a safe spot you know <laughs> between other things right and so i'll just pile i i kind of pile the songs into um into the top of the document, I move them up so that I don't have, you know, them listed in both places. And then, and then I just start organizing like, all right, that would be a good one to start with and and move things around and, and really just kind of create the set. I put a ton of work into, into each set list. It probably takes me, um, you know, 30 to maybe 60 minutes, depending on how focused I am when I'm doing it. And I just kind of move things around and, and then I'll let it sit there and, you know, leave it on my desk for a little while. And, Oh, let me tweak this and move that around. And then, and then once it's good, I send it out to the guys and, and depends on what kind of mood the band's in, whether we stick exactly to it or we, we detour off a little bit here and there. But, uh, lately we've been sticking mostly to the, to the list that I built, which is fine. I, you know, it's, it's, we, we build a different one for every show. There's songs that are repeated, of course, from show to show, but for fling, it's probably more like, uh, I mean, if we played back to back two nights, we could do. No repeats, but we probably wouldn't. There's songs we'd want to repeat. So it's probably, you know, 40% different from night to night is what I. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Well, I try to keep it interesting, not only for us, but for the crowd and, and, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so it's good. Yeah. So the end of my story here is, so the technology I use is just a word processor. I, I uh, create the set list. I put it in Slack a couple of days in advance. So the guys, we have, we've had the Slack conversation yep. so the guys can grab it. <clears throat> um, there is uh, some commentary on occasion. Why are we playing that? Or, Oh really? Or, you know, that type of thing. Um, of course. But the one thing I will say that is, is a falls in between the, the questions that he's asked about technically and creatively is one thing I can't do is if we get to a gig and a guy, if I've taken the time to post, this is a leader thing. I've taken the time to post it. If someone shows up and they're not ready for a song and I'll actually do this. If I'm, if I'm pulling out a song we haven't played for a while, that's one of the things about two or three days. I'll actually note the songs that, that are might be a little cobwebby and uh, say, you know, please be prepared. Um, But the one thing is I, if someone comes in, and says, can we move this around? Can we do this? Can we do that? And they haven't looked at the set list that I've already sent. That's one time when I'll kind of put the leader hammer down and say, dude, you know, 
you, you should, if you asked me a couple of days ago, maybe, but not now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. Right. That's fair. Totally. Yeah. And we, yeah. and I do that in fling too. In fact, the guys will ask me ahead of the gig, like, Hey, you know, can I get the set list early? You, you know, you know, it, sometimes I'll send it out day of, but I try to get it out a couple of days before. Um, and I think actually this week that really helped. We had a, a rehearsal on Wednesday, I want to say for a gig on Saturday. And, uh, and so I, I had some time on Wednesday before our rehearsal. So I built kind of a, a, a set list in progress, if you will, you know, and figured, all right, let's run through this. Let's see how we feel. I said, we only need to play two sets. It should be, you know, no filler, all killer. Let's just put on a good show. Let's, you know, let's not dig too deep into the, the catalog and, and let's, let's, you know, let's polish this up and let's go. Yeah. And, and it worked, it worked well. And we, we did, we started with a tune that, um, well, we started with Folsom prison blues, which is a tune we play a bunch. Um, but I know that uh, one. yeah, that's right. I think you and I played that together, yep. but, um, but our second tune was a, a tune that, that we just added to the, to the, the, the repertoire, uh, Grateful Dead tune actually called West LA fade away. And, um, it, the first time we played it in rehearsal, it was stellar. And, uh, and actually I saw, I saw Don Henley last week. I think I told you I was going to see him yeah. on Tuesday night. And he, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you later about how he opened the show, but the second song that he played, which is really kind of the first real song was, um, dirty laundry. And I thought, man, what a perfect song to open a show with. Cause it's not, now, yeah, right. It's not over the top of your head, like, you know, bashing you with rock and roll, but it's also not just like easing into things and sort of punting on the, on the intro. Right. You know, it, it's this loping sort of groove and it's happy and everybody knows it, but it it's perfect. It's right where it needs to be. And I thought, you know, that's what I need for this club gig. And West LA fadeaway was like, Oh, that's the perfect song for it. Cause it's, you know, it's catchy, but not over the top. And it's just sort of relaxed and we get to relax into a nice groove, but we're not, we're not just like, you know, not entertaining. Yeah. yeah. So it was perfect. Uh, and it went over well in every way. It got the band comfortable and relaxed and it, it got the crowd into it and it was great. So, yeah. You know, and the interesting point that you bring up your band and we've actually, you know, when we asked uh, the re the listeners uh, for some of the cool songs that they play, some of the things that they open with and that type of thing. It's very interesting to me, your band, um, you guys are taking covers that you want to do, that you can make sound good, that you think will be entertaining, which is one approach to the cover band genre. Then there's the dance band genre that is right. there, you know, the equivalent of the top 40 thing. You know, when you're talking about that, that you, you play that Grateful Dead song, you know, that's, that's not a song that you would expect to hear from a cover band. And right. it seems like you take a lot of pride and that's what you're trying to do is, is pull these songs out that you guys can make sound you know, uh, digestible or, you know, something yeah. that will make someone either think not necessarily dance, but either think or smile or, or groove, you know, in their chair yep. or on their feet or whatever it may be. That certainly is one path to that. And then I guess the, the connected part of this is you placed your band into venues where this is a, um, a viable strategy as opposed to, you know, a, a, a dance club, a strict, a straight up dance club. Right. Right. Well, you couldn't start a gig in a straight up dance club with, with West LA fadeaway. Would you take a gig? You know, are you saying your band is, is uh, versatile enough that if you got a gig in a dance club, you wanted to do, you could do, you could do a dance set. Is, oh, that, sure. is that the way you approach it? Yeah. Or yeah, do you yeah. refuse to do that stuff? No, we've, we've played gigs in clubs that are, you know, people are on their feet and want to move and, and all of that stuff. And we'll just engineer the set list differently uh, no. to, you know, to, to cater to that. 
uh, for sure. But yeah, no, we, we happily will do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. But I, you know, even when you're playing a, a gig where it's where it's like this, where you know that maybe for the first set people aren't going to be up and moving, and and that might only happen, you know, during the second set, regardless of what you play, right? If, if there's a dinner crowd or whatever it is, um, you still have to play tunes that are. You have to come out of the gate strong. I I really don't, you know, and I've I've I. This is from personal experience. I've played those gigs where you, you go in, you're like, Oh, we should start soft and like kind of ease into things and that, and that just sucks. It really, it sucks for everybody. It, it might it sucks for everybody, but there are, there are songs that serve both purposes. And I'll Correct. give you a good example. No. And dirty laundry is one of them, right? Yeah. Well, it's, for us, it was peg. Yeah, sure. Right. It's, it is right. not a killer in your face tune. Right. There's some technical proficiency that you need. But it grooves and it goes. And, mm-hmm. you know, so Peg would be one. Uh, Sir Duke is another one that we use early in our shows. I would never put Sir Duke into a, into a set list when the, when it's cooking. Okay. I, I we used to, when I was in, in, in uh, Groove Syndicate, we would put that right in the middle of the cooking, like, part uh-huh. of the second set. It worked great. People loved I it. I guess ne- never say never, right? To right. me, it always feels like a... You, you know, I, like, I know. We've talked. In fact, we talked about Sir Duke. It, I, I know that tune just doesn't resonate with you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is um, fine. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's how it works. You got to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we often open with um, Domino. Yeah, sure. Nice and easy. Gets the band warmed up. I don't know. I, I don't we like used to her. open with Domino, too. <laughs> it was, it, it was really funny when you called that as a as a sound check tune when I was playing with you. It was like, oh, yeah, this I'm used to starting with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those ones where the band can kind of like feel its way into it. Although I do say like, like, does your band warm up? Do your singers go somewhere and warm their voices up? Do you sit somewhere with a with a silent pad and and, uh, and like, or do you guys just kind of like, do you need to literally warm up during showtime, or can your band go balls out from the first song? Um, I I it is my expectation that everyone is ready to go balls out on the first song if that's appropriate for vocal vocally as well. Yep, absolutely, and and uh, f- and and we all just kind of deal with it in our own ways. Uh, because often we don't have a place where we can go and, and sing together, you know, backstage. I mean, it depends. Some clubs you do, some clubs you don't. But um, but I warm up. I play for 10 or 15 minutes here at the house before I leave for the gig. And I found, for again, for me, that's enough. My, my hands, uh, it, it's more about just getting the coordination together. Like, okay, yep, my hands are now used to, like, interacting with their, each other. It's like coordinated discoordination, you know, playing the drums. So just getting my brain right for that. And then in the car, 10 minutes out from the gig or 10 minutes before I get off the exit for the highway, because sometimes I got to focus, you know, depending on getting to the gig. I um I have two. I actually, I play the same REM song twice. Finest work song. I sing the the lead the first time through. Uh, it, it really warm. It's in the right spot of my range to really open up my chest and just like get air flowing when I sing the, the stipe part. And then I sing the Mike Mills part the second way through. And um, that warms me up for harmonies and also kind of lets me know how is my voice doing today. Um, right. You know what? How hard do I need to work? In fact, Saturday on the way to the gig, I did this because it's what I do going to every gig. And as I was singing the the Mills harmonies, I got to what actually is the high part, and and things were like so smooth and relaxed with my voice. I thought, well, I wonder how it's going to feel when I get to the high part. And I thought, wait a minute, that was it, huh? All right, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> voice is in good shape today, and I hadn't slept all that well on Friday night, so I was really kind of worried about. You know, that your voice is the first thing for me anyway, the first thing sure. that goes when I don't sleep because you don't get enough hydration and all that stuff. So, yeah. 
Yeah, well, warm up, I, I would say the same thing for our band. When we play gigs, like we're the headliner of a festival. So there's been an audience there. They're all pumped up. Yeah. Sometimes when we were doing the seven to 10 club gigs, uh, you could take the first three or four songs of the seven o'clock where people are just kind of streaming in. And, yeah. and you can, and that, uh, I don't want to dumb it down too much, but that's when a peg type song works really well. And totally. that, you know, you got to play, you got to concentrate and you got to, you know, listen. Um, but you do get warmed up very fast playing all that, you know, and the harmony blending and all that stuff has to happen right away. So that's been a bit, a good tune for us to get going. Yeah. I'll tell you, we played a gig, um, this weekend, <clears throat> we played a wedding. Ah, yes. So weddings are a thing, man. There, it's uh, you know, talk about set lists and talk about all that type of stuff. This, and and we don't play a lot of weddings. I don't know why we don't get more weddings. I think people see a ten piece band and think we're too big for most places, or like you said, we're pretty loud. And so I think uh, for most wedding halls. Uh, people wonder if, if we can kind of deal with the constraints, uh, uh, volume constraints, and that, the you know, it'll be a good experience for everybody. We've probably played 25 or 30 weddings in the history of the House Rockers, you know, a couple a year. Sure. Um, and the guys in the band, you know, they pay good. They're pretty long days. Um, you have to deal with people coming up to you saying, do you play this? And, you know, if you say no, getting kind of a snarky answer or, or that type of thing. <laughs> but <clears throat> here's my thing about weddings. I had met with the, the the groom and the bride a few times and we went over our songs and, you know, they picked from our catalog most of the stuff. We added three songs. So maybe that's where I can start. We added three songs at their request. One was the great wedding song, Cool and the Gang, Celebrate. Oh, so yeah. here's the deal. That song kind of went into the play that funky music brick house category for a while. It's really fun to play and it really makes people happy. I mean, the band, there's a groove to it. There's very distinct parts. The horns make that song pop quite a bit. I really enjoyed playing that song the other day and it's really, it was fun. Simon sings it. He does a great job on it. There's some interesting harmonies to it. I mean, it, the musically, harmonies are not easy on that song. Uh -huh. they're, they're deceptively difficult. Yeah. 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 So Celebrate was one. Moon Dance was another. I sang Moon Dance. Uh, Mendoza did a great job picking up the flute part, so it sounds fairly authentic. Nick plays a beautiful piano part on it. That is a really fun song to play. It's a very, it's a mood sound, a, a very different vibe. And we liked it so much. I liked it so much. I've uh, we're going to add a full horn arrangement to it, so you know those hits will pop even more. So Moon Dance was another one. We, and then the had, third, we did Moon Dance in uh, in Groove Syndicate. That was that, and that was like part of the set with go over. horns and everything. Oh yeah, perfect belly. You know. A buckle polisher kind of thing. You know, it was a great tune for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just at the risk of, of, uh, of exposing the buckle polisher. Yeah. The buckle polisher, you know, people dance real close to each other. Got it. Belt yeah. buckles, not shoe buckles. Got it. Not shoe buckles. No, 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 no. Got it. Paul shoe buckles were like much older than even the song celebrate. So there you, there go. you go. Yeah. No All belt, right. belt buckle polisher. That's right. Yep. Belly rubbing, buck, buckle polishing, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the third song we added was Eddie Money's Two Tickets to Paradise, which, you know, that would be one of those kind of classic rock radio songs that doesn't have a horn. So we would never really get around to that if someone didn't ask for it. Um, but Nick sang it and he had a good time with it. And it was just one of those ones, those songs that are kind of in your DNA, you know, that it just kind of comes out very quickly because yep. you do know it and everybody's played it in some form at some point in time. And so it came together really well. And we actually sound checked all three of those. And, uh, and we were good to go. So that was kind of fun. But I'll say this about weddings. In my mind, 
it is, it's a wonderful honor to be asked to be a part of such a special day for people. And so I kind of romanticize about this, that, you know, my band is, you know, helping create memories for people and stuff like that. We got out there. We started with Celebrate at a little bit of interest. This was not a dancing wedding. This, I mean, we were, Uh-oh. we were, we were struggling, man. But then it, when it became clear, it wasn't going to be one of those kind of nights. We just kind of laid back and did our thing and did our best. And, you know, everybody was pro about it. It was great. And then the last six or seven songs after the groom and bride had gone around and, you know, shook everybody's hands, gave everybody a hug. And then they appeared on the dance floor. All of a sudden the last five songs of the night, yeah. the dance floor is full. And I, I hope that's what people remember is the, is the great energy of the last five songs, but you know, weddings are, are kind of a funny thing. We've played other weddings where it's from the moment we've played. Um, and, but this one was a, was a bit of a struggle and, and I can't even put my finger on why, cause you know, again, they picked the songs There were, you know, a lot of earth, wind and fire, a lot of good dance music that just that energy didn't come towards the dance floor. There was a lot more socializing going on back there. You ever have that before a wedding where it's, it's not a dance party. Yeah. I've, and I've had party gigs that, that I mean, weddings are included amongst them that you expect that, oh yeah, this is just going to be like, it's easy. You don't have to think about it. You know, people are just going to be up because they would be up no matter what band was on stage. And, and then suddenly you find, well, no, in fact, they're not. Uh, yeah, you just deal with it. Uh, you know, there's that old Artie Shaw quote um, that's where he, he said, uh, why are they dancing? I wrote music good enough to listen to. Right. Right. And and so you just kind of go with that. Like, you know what, man? That's cool. I I, I really like uh, an attentive crowd, even if they're not dancing. Like I, I, I can get into that as a as a musician. And and I think it's important at least to be tolerant of that because you when you least expect it you can find yourself in that scenario where it's like oh guess what all those people are watching what we're doing and they're not reacting physically at all other than putting their hands together between each song yeah (laughs) yeah and it's okay you just kind of have to you know it's like okay great and and as a um as a drummer i'm i'm hyper aware of this stuff because when there's people up and dancing i i feel a huge responsibility to keep the groove steady and simple for them, right? You know, you got to keep that pulse going like we were talking about earlier. But when they're not dancing, um, it, you know, you, I can take a little bit more leeway and, and maybe play, you know, a syncopated fill where I normally wouldn't if people were dancing because it might throw them off. I know I'm not going to throw the band off. In fact, oftentimes you can have even better interaction as a band if you're not responsible for this mass of people and keeping them moving consistently together. Um, so, so I like that freedom when, when it's afforded to me in those, in those scenarios. So you just take it, go with it. I, you do take it. it. Uh, it seems to me like it's about a vibe much more about than whatever music you're doing. It's like, yes, if the vibe of the wedding is about socializing, not about dancing, if the vibe of the wedding is about following the bride and groom around, you know, and, and all those types of things, um, it's, it's just going to be different. So weddings are things, you know, like some of my guys, they're not sure that the amount of time we got there, we had to do a, a sound check and be at one o'clock and be done at two o'clock. Three o'clock was the down, uh, was the uh, ceremony. We didn't play until six o'clock. So between the ceremony and the, yeah, really long day. And we played till about nine. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was real. One funny thing is they decided to do a money dance and, uh, we had to, at the last minute, figure out what was a good song to do for a money dance. 
So we did Let's Get It On, which was, you know, got a, kind of a chuckle from people. <laughs> right? But the thing is, you know, like That's these clever. money dances, if it if it works, there's a long line of people waiting to dance. And so we had to keep going around and around and around. And Nick is like, let's do another one. Let's do another song. I'm like, they're not even listening to us. It's not it's not about the music. It's about, right. you know, letting them go through. So let's not burn another song because I don't even know what it would have been. Let's not burn another song. Let's just keep going around. And so. You know, it was pretty funny. Mendoza, our sax player, you know, he had six <laughs> he had solos. A lot, yeah. He had a lot of bars to build up his solo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just kind of funny. And then finally he tossed it to Simon and then Nick took one. I took one. And it ended up being about a 10 minute song, which was pretty funny. That's great. But yeah, weddings are a thing. Do you like doing weddings? Um, you know, it has to be the right thing. And again, I, I sort of abstracted out to parties in general, right? If it's the right vibe for a party, yes, but weddings and with, with lots of parties, weddings can be those things like you experience where people want to socialize more than they want to party, um, or more than they want to dance. I should say, I mean, parties, it's sort of an umbrella term and I, I've always found when I'm in those situations and you talked about the vibe of 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 this one was just they wanted to talk to each other and that happens a lot at weddings you get a bunch of people together that know each other but haven't seen each other in you know maybe a decade right and and now they want to catch up and i've always felt and i and i've done this at parties where you know we'll play, we'll get there and they'll say okay great you know we're going to everybody's going to arrive at at uh, you know 7:30 so we want the band to start at 8 and you play till 10 and at 7:50 I'll go to the host and say, look, totally your call, totally your party. We're obviously ready to go whenever you like. But in 10 minutes, look around the room. These people are all chit-chatting with each other. They're eating their little snacky foods. They're all still on their first drink and they want to talk to each other. Like no one's bored and standing at the edge of the stage waiting for the band to play. Right. You know? And I, I, so I always say, look, we'll start whenever you want. But if it were me given this crowd and what I know from my experience of doing events exactly like this, we should have this same conversation again in 30 minutes. And, uh, and you, you know, you tell me and it's up to you, but my professional advice is you, these people don't want rock and roll blasted into their ears right now. Right. And we've, I've, we've done it both ways where the, the host will say, yep, smart thinking. Let's, you know, go, go have, have a smoke or whatever. And we don't smoke, but you know, whatever, take, take a break, come back. And uh, talk to us and, you know, let's have this conversation again. Uh, I've also had it where the host says, no, you know, we told everybody an eight o'clock start time for the band. I want to I want to stay consistent with that. It's like, fine. And without question, 20 minutes in, you can tell, like, these people aren't interested. And it's like, yeah. no, we're, we're burning. We're burning these people. Let's you know, so we'll we'll play maybe 40 minutes instead of an hour or whatever. And then we'll take our break. Right. And we'll let the third drink get into people. And then we play again. And so it's like a different room, you know, so. Well, we had uh, we had a lot of time to just hang. And so guys were telling stories about weddings and. You know, we and the House Rockers have experienced this where originally we were supposed to play three hours, but the toast took on a, a mind of their own. We ended up paying, playing an hour because there so many other things went on or the wedding wasn't well planned or something like that. So those things happen in weddings where your playtime gets cut down dramatically. But one really funny story, uh, Al, our trumpet player, was telling it's not a wedding story, but it's it's somewhat relative. Um, they were there uh, to do uh, an event somewhere. And it was like you had to pay to enter the event and the band's getting ready to play. And there's <laughs> there's two people in the room. 
right? And uh, the leader of the band goes up and he asked the two people, what'd you pay to get in? And they said 10 bucks. And he gave them each 20 bucks to leave and the band got to pick up and go. (laughs) (laughs) That's killer. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. We, um, (laughs) we had a gig in Texas where we had, Murray had put out a, a record. Um, this was this blues rock trio I was in. And he got booked at this club, you know, so we're going there and he had talked to the woman who runs the club and it was a new thing that she was doing. She's like, oh, this is great. You know, we really like your music here and and we can't wait to have you play. So, you know, we load our stuff in and we set up. We didn't have a lot of stuff. It was just three of us. But still, you know, we set up and Murray has his 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 amp on. And he plays like one note, like just like a quick chord just to hear like almost a muted chord just to make sure his amp is making noise, like that his signal chain is good. And the woman comes up to the stage and she's like, is that how loud it's going to be? And we're like, actually, it's going to be a lot louder than that. And she's like, we had no idea. You know, we play your CD in here. We love the sound of it here. Here's your money. We can't, <laughs> we can't have you play this gig. We're sorry. That's funny. <laughs> like put it all back in the car. Yeah. The, one of my favorite wedding story. Well, it's not my favorite, but it's the one that sticks out in my head when I was in hypnotic Clambake, Right. So we did this tour and the second night of our tour, the first night was a gig in Akron, normal club. Second night was a private wedding. And it was, um, I think it was in the state of Pennsylvania. I want to say, I don't know. It, we were all over the place, but anyway, it was at a firehouse, right? They rented out the firehouse. Um, and that's where this, this wedding was. And these people were fans of the band. The gig went great. People were totally into it. They, you know, like once the, especially once the parents left, they were all like having a blast, you know, doing their hippie dance into the, the hypnotic clam bake stuff. And it was great. But they told us, they said, you know, same kind of thing. You got to get there early and set up. And then there's the ceremony. And then, You'll play and we'll feed you guys dinner. I was like, great. So we're there and we're just all kind of getting to know each other because everybody was sort of a hired gun in, in the clam bake. And there were, it was actually the first night we played with our banjo player, Billy Constable, uh, rest in peace, Billy. And, uh, and we're sitting there kind of like talking at dinner, but they had us sit with the firemen at, because that was the table. You know, it was like everybody in the wedding was paired off together and then they put the band and the, and the firemen together and they fed us all. And these, there were four firemen there, Paul. These were the most racist people I have ever met in my life. And so there we are at dinner in their house, right? I mean, this is like actually where these guys are going to sleep tonight in the firehouse. And like just sitting and listening to the, the, I mean, just all these, these totally offhanded, but like the most racist things. And we're looking at each other like, oh, what are we in for here? But, you know, it was one of those things that sort of bonded us as a band very, very quickly because for the rest of the tour. And in fact, here we are, whatever, 20 years later, we still tell the story about those racist firemen. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's not funny that they were racist no. firemen, but it was just one of those things that, you know, it was a, like, so we sort of had to endure this bad experience and bite our tongues and everything. And, and, uh, and then we just went and played music and it was kind of a good release for us. Like, yeah, yeah. But these things happen. These, it's, you know, these are how gigs go, right? That's the, um, that's the, well, it's, it's very similar to the, like people behaving badly conversation is, is when you're a musician, you observe human nature in a very unique and interesting way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. You find yourself in situations with people that are not, um, that, 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 that wouldn't normally, you wouldn't normally socialize with, 
uh, you know, that just, you just all happen to be here and, and yeah, it's interesting. Keeps and it people interesting. react. Yeah. People react to the music in different ways. I mean, sometimes it brings out uh, the amorous side of them. <laughs> sometimes it brings out the intellectual side of them. Sometimes it brings out the violent side of them. Just going to so, say, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it happens. this is our job. We chose this. We chose this. Oh, and, <laughs> and I, I continue to choose it. Yep. It's a blast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So right. you're, you're not going to get a chance to see Don Henley. Are you this tour? Right. He already came through here. Okay. So the way he started the show was, and and I I think you'll appreciate this. He came out, uh, they, you know, they had some like, there was actually, they had a bunch of radios, old style radios hanging from the top of the, 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 the stage and the house lights went down and there was about a four or five minute little thing where they would shine the spotlight on one radio and it would play some old song or you'd hear a DJ and then right in the middle of it, they'd shine the spotlight on a different radio and it would be play a different song. And you know, there was just this thing. And in the meanwhile, we had, we had really good seats. We were up in the third row and we can see the band coming on stage and they sort of, there were up at, at the, the peak of it, there were 15 people on stage with Don. He had two piano players. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, bass player, drummer, Three guitar players plus Don. One of his guitar players played a uh, uh, like a, a pedal steel uh, five piece horn section at times who were all off books. So I assume they were touring with him and not just local guys that were hired. And these three female singers who were all great lead singers in their own right. They were doing a bunch of duets with Don and stuff. So, yeah, 15 people. And I would say about 10 of them stood you know, assembled in a semicircle in front of microphones at the front of the stage while this thing's going on above the, above the, the, the band. And, and then at one point it switched and instead of the spotlight moving to another radio, the spotlight moved down to the band. And at the moment they must've had a countdown in their ears or something because there was nothing at all. They're just standing there patiently, quietly waiting and as soon as the spotlight was on, they started singing the acapella intro to Seven Bridges Road. Whoa, that must have been dramatic. Oh, and I, I knew it was coming. I had seen the set list because my dad was coming with us, my dad and his wife, and I wanted to give them a list of the songs so that they could prep. And so I had seen the running order. I gave it to them in alphabetical order so that everybody would, would you know, wouldn't necessarily predict what was coming next and they could have a little bit of surprise. But uh, and as soon as I saw him kind of assemble around the mics, I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here. It didn't matter. Still gave me chills. It was just mm. oh, it was beautiful. Oh, gosh, it was so good. The sound was good. And then, as I said, once they finished, you know, uh, kind of a, a little snippet of, of Seven Bridges Road, they, they started the groove up for Dirty Laundry. And, mm. and uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> what what was the encore? Uh, well, the final song was Desperado, d- mm. dedicated to Glenn Fry. Um, and then he played, he played two encores. He did hotel California and, uh, life in the fast lane. I want to say for the first encore. And then the second encore was, was uh, desperado. So yeah, it was a good show. A lot, of, a lot of hits to choose from there. You know, the thing was, yeah, he played a, a bunch of his hits, if not all of them. Um, and, but he also played some tunes from his, he, he put out an album called Cass County country album full of duets which is why he had these three women there with him and i thought those songs might be like you know good opportunities to maybe go you know if you needed to hit the bathroom or whatever every single moment of that show was captivating and stellar every bit of it we were i was blown away i mean not surprised right the guy's a career entertainer he knows exactly what he's doing um and and he's such a pro i mean you know everything he's ever done has been very 
very precise. I mean, every, yes. every song he puts out on record is very thoughtful. The arrangements are, you know, he's very smart about how he manages what he does and who he is. I, I actually did see Don Henley, uh, the, the, uh, boys of summer, whatever that album oh, was yeah. when he toured for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you know, there were like half a dozen hits that came off of that that album. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, thoughtful is the right word. I mean, he clearly has worked very hard on every song, you know, he, he crafts these tunes and, and honors them. He doesn't change them. I mean, even, you know, a tune like boys of summer where it, you know, he's been playing that for decades or desperado, which he's been playing for a long time, more decades, more, even more decades. Yeah. He doesn't feel the need or, or probably even want to change the melody here or there. I mean, it's like, Nope, I crafted the crap out of this song and that's how it goes. And I'm going to sing it the way that I know it goes. And it's, it's really interesting. And you know, it's the end of the tour. I don't think it was the last gig, but it's toward the end of the tour. The, the band wasn't, wasn't bored. They were engaged. They were having fun because they're pros. I mean, that's how it should be, but yeah, yeah. no, it was a, it was a good, uh, good show. Yeah. Was there any, um, you know, he has a bit of a reputation being, of being able to be prickly. Do you get any of that in his banter? No. Well, so um, yes. Um, the the staff at the venue was actually talking about how particular Mr. Henley is. Um, but it, part of that was sort of spurred on by the fact that everywhere in the venue were signs that you shall not pull out your phones or cameras and take pictures or videos at all through the show. And, and they meant it. Um, I saw like in the first song, somebody pulled out their camera and there were three security guards on them. And it was, it was, it was at Don's wish and about two songs in, Don said, all right, look, here's the deal. Uh, if you promise to keep your phones in your pockets for most of the night, when we get to that song about the hotel, then you can take them out and do whatever the hell you want. He said, but here's the thing. It's really annoying up on stage to see a crowd of people that all they have in front of them is their phones. He says, and I also know from going to shows, it's really annoying standing behind people that have yeah. all their phones out. And I, I am 100% in agreement with him on this. I hate it when I find myself behind, you know, the person that has deemed themselves the official videographer of the <laughs> night. Uh, you know, it's like, buddy, you, you just enjoy the show. And it really was. It was it was splendid being there uh, without phones out. And, and of course, when when he played Hotel California and they all came out. It, you you appreciated even more how how sublime it was without all the phones because even in the third row so we only had two rows of people in front of us right that was it and then there was the band it was still like oh this is really actually kind of annoying yeah <laughs> yeah 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 I I like the old rule and maybe it's still a rule I guess I have it's been a while since I've been to a show as a as press. But when I used to go to shows at South by Southwest and would bring a camera with me, I would bring, you know, I would always get a press pass for my camera and they would say, look, here's here's the rule. 15 minutes or the first three songs, whichever happens first. And after that, you cannot have your camera out anymore. You got to let people enjoy the show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's like it's that's a that's a reasonable thing. And that was like for press. Uh, so. Yeah, we got it. We got it. We're early on in the days of cell phones. Still, we, we're still learning the etiquette of of what it means to have these devices in our pockets. And, and so we're, it's evolving. We'll, we'll get there. 
We will. It's just how it I, works, right? I don't know. I yeah. think this is self. We can go off on this, but I think the self and <laughs> the self entitlement factor is uh, is what cell phones have enabled. You know that, that you can take a call in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. we'll go off in the wrong. Yeah, way. You know, no, no, no. But but it was really nice being at a show where there was no. I mean, there were no screens whatsoever. There's a very, relatively small venue, about five thousand people, um, and laid out in a good way. It's this, this pavilion that's just. Just in fact, it was probably about, you know, five miles from wherever you were that night in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it was a good venue. It was a really nice night. It's an it's an outdoor thing with a permanent kind of tent above it. Um, but, you know, you're dealing with temperature <coughs> from the outdoors. But uh, yeah, it was great. Good show. And I good. really liked the no cell phones thing, man. It was great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It made such a difference. All right. My last thing very, very quickly is uh, when I was in Boston, we uh, I went to a party. Uh, the, the host of the party was a corporate conference, flew in a band from Seattle all the way to Boston. They were paid handsomely, but here's the deal. They were a band. They were a three piece band, very deep repertoire. They, they knew a lot of stuff. They said, if you have a suggestion, if you have a request, shout it out. We'll take a shot at it if we can. And if you can come up and sing it with us, I'll sing with you. So they had a mic set up for uh, for people to kind of come on. So it wasn't only live karaoke. I mean, they played some really fun stuff and they sure. were very entertaining and they were really good. But, um, you know, if you think about what is it that you need in order to be a, a band that's going to get those kind of corporate gigs, compete with DJs and those types of things. It was kind of dawning on me that that they were very good at encouraging the audience to take part of it. And a lot of people did. And because the drummer sang along, the drummer was the lead singer, sang ah. along with who was ever singing, the songs never went terribly off the rails. And uh, they were just kind of good at it. And so, you know, if you want to be a cover band and get corporate gigs, um, that tact. You need to be engaging. some flavor. Yeah. Yeah. That, some flavor of that tact is something you need to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've done. I actually, I've done more of those types of gigs with um, Matt Langley and and Steve Monfett, uh, who are the guitar player and bass player from Chafed. They they call themselves Axis when they play as a three piece, but but Matt's the guy who can just play anything he's ever heard, and and that skill lends itself perfectly to private parties of any kind yeah. because it's just. Now that the wall between the musicians and the the the, the party patrons is is down, it doesn't. It's just We're all a party. together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you need Psychotus does that. Is it, is that right? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, when we do acoustic gigs, he will. He knows a lot of songs. He's got a lot of songs ready on his iPad, and he's willing at a break to go sit down somewhere and listen to something and come out. It's not always spot on perfect. No. And that's actually the funny thing is, it doesn't have to be. It totally doesn't have to be. No, especially at a private party. You know, I always say when, when we do that in a club and, and people can walk in sort of at any time and you they don't necessarily get they're not in on the joke. They might catch a moment that's pretty awful, uh, you know, out of context. But when it's a private party, it, it, it's all in context. It's totally fine. Yep. You know, everybody's in on the joke and it works out great. Yeah, you can be a lot looser. So, yeah, it's good. It's fun. All right, folks. I think we've we've uh, exhausted our time with our listeners for today, Paul. Overstate our welcome, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. But at least we're not racist firemen. So there's that. Thank God. Thank goodness yeah. for that. Folks, thanks so much. <laughs> Facebook.com slash podcast. That's where you can send in your questions. And you can be like Michael and ask a question that starts off a show like this one. <laughs> and then it's your fault. Always be performing, folks. Thanks, Paul. ABP. Bye.